Welcome back to our short series through the book of Colossians. I want to invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. Uh, you can take notes, uh, the paper notes you got when you came in, or there's digital notes on the website, uh, whichever one is easier for you. But join me there in chapter 3. If you missed either one of the two weeks, chapter 1 or chapter 2, you can catch up on our website. Just hit the sermons button. It's really easy to find. And we, uh, we put those sermons up there for you in case you missed them. You see the title of our series, Jesus Over Everything. And if you remember, in chapter 1, we learned why that simple truth is true. We learned that the reason we can say Jesus is over everything is because chapter 1 uh, describes Jesus as supreme, that He is uh, first in rank, He is highest in authority, he is over all things in all of creation. And we learned that in chapter 1. Then last week, we took a look at these warnings that Paul offers. If we, if we wind up forgetting that Jesus is over everything, that Jesus is supreme, uh, that can do harm. That can do harm in our spiritual life. That can do harm in our relationships. And we also saw that it actually could just... Uh, we, we could wind up missing out on something better than if we lived every day knowing and believing that Jesus is supreme, that He is over everything. This morning we're going to talk a little bit more in practical terms of how we live every day. It's, it's good for us to know and believe that Jesus is over everything. It, it's something that we might want to put on a t-shirt. But how do we live that way? How, in practical terms, do we live everyday life like we actually believe that Jesus is supreme, that He is over everything? How do we do that? And I think chapter 3 helps us very practically answer that question. I think about some of the areas of life that we walk into. You know, we come to church, we gather, we sing some songs, and we... Uh, we interact with other believers, and these are good things on a Sunday morning. It's, it's good to start our new week this way. But when we leave this place, we're headed out into various uh, situations and uh, endeavors. Some of you are going to wind up in, in school tomorrow, and, and others will find themselves in work or maybe somewhere out in the community. And What does that mean in practical terms when you're at school to live like Jesus is over everything? What does it mean? What does it look like when you go to work tomorrow that, uh, that you can live in a way that you believe that Jesus is over everything? Or when you're at the supermarket this week, when you're with your family, how about in your marriage? Have you ever thought about what does it mean to believe and live in such a way that Jesus is over everything when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your friendships, when it comes to maybe a dating relationship in your life. How about this? How about your life goals, your life priorities? We all have priorities. I don't know. Maybe not everyone has a life goal. I suppose it's, it's possible that someone just kind of floats through life without goals, but everyone's got priorities. What does it mean to take all of those things in your everyday life? And I don't know that I've covered everything in your life in that list, but what does it mean for us every day to put Jesus over everything? How do we do it? I think, let's, uh, I think we're going to find the answer 
Uh, in chapter 3, let's start with the first four verses. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. So who are we talking to? We're talking to the believer. We're talking to the one who has repented of sin, who has trusted Christ as their forgiver, as their Savior. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in His glory. If you have a, an NIV, it, it's phrased a little bit differently. It says this, set your hearts on the things above. Set your minds on the things above, where Jesus is. I want you to remember this simple phrase this morning. Take it with you. It's simply this, set your heart and mind on Jesus over everything. Set your heart and mind on Jesus over everything. I don't know if you've ever had your heart set on something. I'm sure we all have, uh, maybe something big, maybe something small, but we've all had our heart probably set on something. Maybe uh, maybe it was a particular Christmas gift, maybe it was a birthday gift, and, and you had your heart set on something, and you opened the gift uh, at Christmas time or, or, or your birthday, and you, you know, you, you dropped a bunch of hints, like uh, for months, you're like, oh, I kind of would like this or that. You dropped the hints along the way, and then you opened the gift, and it wasn't what you had your heart set on. Maybe it wasn't the right brand. My mom would do that all the time. You know, if, if I wanted Levi, she'd buy me uh, Wrangler, right? And I guess I don't know if Wrangler's cool or not cool anymore, but at the time when I wanted Levi, it was, and we would go to the store, if I wanted Nike, we had to get uh, McGregor's from Kmart or whatever. So uh, maybe you had your heart set on something and it wasn't the right brand or it wasn't the right color. Maybe it was socks and underwear and you were hoping for something more exciting, I imagine that most of us can remember at some time feeling that, that disappointment. There's a disappointment. You had your heart set on something, and it didn't turn out the way you wanted, and you felt disappointment over that. You didn't get what your heart was set on. How about this? Have you ever had your mind set on something? You had your mind set on a goal. You had your mind set on a particular thing that you wanted to accomplish, and because your mind was set on it, it didn't matter to you how much work it was going to take to accomplish it. It didn't matter to you how much you would have to sacrifice to reach that goal. You had your mind set on it. And you reached that goal. You accomplished what you set your mind to. And that felt good. If you ever experienced that in life, you know what that felt like. It felt good to pay off that debt. And get a little uh, card from Dave Ramsey saying, good job. It felt good that you graduated from high school or graduate school or whatever. It felt good that you completed the 5K. It felt good that you lost that weight and you reached that goal that you were working really hard, made a lot of sacrifices to get to that goal. It felt good. 
So we understand on both sides of this, when you have your heart or mind set on something and you, and you achieve it, man, that feels awesome. And when you don't, when you don't get what your heart is set on, you don't maybe achieve what your mind has been set to, it, it can feel disappointing and that's hard. But there's motivation in that. See, when your mind is set to something, when your heart is set to something, there's motivation in you that drives you towards it, right? I want to ask you a personal question. You don't have to answer out loud. You don't even have to whisper it to your neighbor. I'm just asking you to be honest. What's your heart set on this morning? What is your mind set on this morning? For some, it's, it's money. For some, it's material things. For some, it's popularity or status. For others, it's, I want a stronger marriage. My heart, my mind is set to strengthening and, and deepening my relationship with my spouse. For some, it's, I want to be a stronger follower of Jesus. There's this desire, this mindset, this heart set that that's who I want to be. I don't know what your heart or mind is set on this morning, but I want to ask you an even more uncomfortable personal question than that. Do you like who you are becoming? Here's the connection. You have a desire, you have a passion, you have your mind set to something, you have your heart set on something. Whatever that is, there's creating, uh, it, it creates within you a motivation of a forward movement towards whatever that is that your mind is set to, whatever it is that your heart is set on. Do you like where you're going? Do you like where your heart is trending? Do you like the person you are becoming? I wonder sometimes if we ever take time to really think where where is your heart set on something? Your mind is set on something. Do you ever take time to think where that is going to take you when you finally reach that goal? Like, what's on the other side of that? Okay, you accomplish it. That's amazing. Or your heart and mind is maybe set on something of little value, and, and, it, and it's really, at the end of the day, it's kind of an empty thing, but you're chasing after it. Have you thought through where it's taking you? Have you thought through where... Where, uh, where it's leading you and the person that whatever it is that your heart's set on that, that you are becoming because your heart is set on this or your mind is set on whatever that is. Do you like where it's taking you? I'm like, man, that is too early in the morning to think such deep thoughts. Like I had one cup of coffee. This is like a three-cup coffee kind of conversation. That's fair. But here's what I'd like you to, uh, let's just back up something a little more simple to think through. What if, what if every goal in our lives, what if everything that we set our mind to, everything we set our heart on was deliberately and intentionally put underneath a greater goal of setting our hearts and minds on Jesus over everything? I wonder if your life would look any different if you started asking questions like, how do I, in my everyday life, how do I become more like Jesus? How do I do that? 
How do I put Jesus over everything when I go to school? How do I put Jesus over everything when I go to work? How do I put Jesus over everything when it comes to my priorities and my desires and my passions? And in my relationships, whether it's with uh, my spouse or maybe it's someone that you're, you're, you're dating, maybe it's in your moral choices that you're making, how How do I put Jesus over everything and filter those passions and desires through that one goal? And maybe you're already in the habit of doing that. I'm imagining some of you probably are, and that's the pattern of your life, and that's amazing. Keep it going. But I want to say this. If that's not not the pattern of your life, I want you to think about where your heart and mind, as far as what it is set on, where it is taking you. Because I know this, I know this about you, if, if your heart and your mind is set on Jesus over everything, you, you like the person you're becoming. You do. You like where your life is trending. You, you, are, you are thrilled with the person you're becoming because you're becoming like Jesus. And if, and if that's not true of you, and, and you're thinking, okay, my, my heart, my mind, I can't say that it's really set on Jesus over everything, then do you like who you're becoming? Do you like where that's taking you? How about this? We're going to talk about, in the text here this morning, about anger and, and uh, where that takes a person. Think about where a person's heart and mind, who is set on anger, where it takes them. It's going to turn a person into uh, someone who is an angry person, who is, who is filled with rage, who is filled with, with hatred towards others, and it just spills out in ways that you maybe never thought, and you become this person that you never imagined you would be because your heart, your mind is set on revenge or proving your point or winning the argument or whatever it is, anger. What if your heart and mind is set on being kind and compassionate and gracious and forgiving? Are you going to like the person you're becoming if that's what your heart and mind is set to? The answer is yeah, because you're becoming like Jesus. Whatever it is your heart and mind is set on, it's leading you somewhere. It's impacting who you are becoming. So it's, what we're talking about today is not just a message to those who might be far from God headed down the wrong path towards destruction. I mean, I think that's part. We're going to talk about the gospel and why this is important. But anything, I think any Christian who's honest and, and any one of us who is, who is capable of self-evaluation will, will admit there are days when our hearts, when our minds are set on the wrong things. And when our hearts and minds are set on the wrong things, they wind up leading us in the wrong direction And we wind up becoming the person that we don't really want to be. And think about this. The the audience that Paul writes this letter to is a group of faithful Christians. That's how they're described in the first chapter. These are faithful, Jesus-loving Christians. And yet Paul still reminds them, guys, you need to keep your hearts, you need to keep your minds set on Jesus over everything. We need this reminder this morning. Let's talk in practical terms how we, how we do this. How do we, how do we move beyond 
you know, a cool graphic that we could put on a t-shirt and actually live this out in our everyday lives. How do we put every goal, every desire, every passion under, under this, uh, this one goal of Jesus over everything, this heart set, this mindset on Jesus? Paul, if you look at the text here, Paul, starting here in verse 5, he gives this list of sins that we need to delete from our lives. And then after that, he's going to give us a set of virtues that we need to add to our lives. We're going to take a look at those, uh, those lists. Hopefully they will be helpful to us. But here's what I think is going to happen. I'm going to read them. We're going to read them together. And one of two things are going to happen in your mind. One of two things is going to happen in your heart. One, you're going to read these things and you are going to be highly motivated to eliminate these sins from your life. You're going to be highly motivated to add these virtues to your life because you want to be more like Jesus, because that's the overarching passion and desire of your life. Here's the second thing that could happen. We're going to read these things together. And it's possible that some will ignore what you hear. You'll read it with me. We'll read it together and you'll ignore it or maybe even feel a sense of disappointment because it's not what you want to hear. It doesn't match up with where your heart is. It doesn't match up with where, what your mind is set on right now in your life. And so you're like, well, that... That doesn't fit with where I'm headed. I don't want to change where I'm headed, so I don't want to hear it. Those are the two possibilities that are going to happen in your mind and in your heart as we read this together. And my prayer is that it'll be the first. My prayer is that we collectively, as we read God's Word together today, will have this incredible passion and desire and motivation to be more like Jesus. Here we go, verse 5. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Some of you might have the, the earthly nature, uh, but this idea of uh, lurking within us, it's kind of ominous, isn't it? Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now, now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds, but now put on your new nature, and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Just pause there for a moment. Break that down piece by piece. This, this phrase here about putting to death the earthly nature that's lurking within us. How do we do that? I mean, it sounds ominous. It's, a, it's an interesting word picture uh, of our sinful nature. But how do we put the earthly nature to death. Here's, here's uh, what, my, my best advice for how we do that in practical terms. We have to starve it. We've got to starve it to death. 
If we set our minds and our hearts on Jesus, the things of heaven and not the things of the earth. In other words, uh, we, are, we are filling our minds, we are filling our hearts of these things of heaven. We starve out our minds and our hearts from, from the sin of, of this world. In, in Philippians 4.8, I love this, this verse. I, I quote this verse a lot to myself. Uh, throughout the week, if I notice that my mind, if my heart is drifting from where it needs to be, I come back to this verse a lot as a reminder. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure and lovely and admirable and excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think about. And the, the word there is focus your thoughts on such things. Set your mind, set your heart on things that are pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy and noble. starve the earthly nature to death by feeding our soul and feeding our mind and our heart with things that are better. You know, just the reality of where we are in life in the 2021 American culture, sexual perversion is everywhere. Immorality is everywhere in our culture. It's just, it's everywhere. But just because it's everywhere doesn't mean that we, as Christians, have to set our hearts on it. Just because it's everywhere doesn't mean we have to set our minds on it. We can choose not to give it any airtime in our lives. We can starve it out by setting our hearts and our minds towards a desire for purity. And it is, a, it's a desire. You've got to want purity. You have to want it. Purity is one of those virtues that's not just going to happen because you woke up and brushed your teeth in the morning. Purity is something you've got to want. You'd think that we would just kind of naturally want purity because if I were to offer you a glass of water, a glass of water, and I said to you, now listen, before you drink it, I just want you to know there's some bacteria in the water. It's not a lot. In fact, uh, according to you know, whatever the government regulation, it's within the acceptable limits of bac bacteria that's allowed to be in the water. You're probably not going to get sick from it. If I handed you the glass of water with that disclaimer, I, maybe some of you are like, no problem, <laughs> down, down, I guess. I wouldn't. I would probably like, nah, I think I'll wait and get something that's pure. Yeah, if we're out in the woods and we're like dying of thirst, so maybe we'll take the risk. But when you think about purity in, in your food, in your water, it, it's, it's one of those things where we want something that's pure. We don't want contamination. And yet, I wonder sometimes when it comes to purity in our minds and in our hearts, if we, if we approach it in the same way. I don't know that we always do, even as Christians. I wonder if sometimes we might ask questions like, what, what's the acceptable amount of immorality that I'm allowed to have? What's the acceptable amount of, of, of lust and impure desire that I can have in my life and not make God mad at me? That sounds kind of ridiculous to say it out loud in that way, but I wonder sometimes if that's the kind of question we're asking, rather than, I, I, I want 
purity. And I'm, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to chase after purity, even in my culture that is just impure everywhere. We have to starve it to death by setting our hearts and minds on something pure. There's another phrase in there that says, rid yourself of. Rid yourself of. And then it talks about uh, things uh, like rage and um, not just the emotion of, of anger, but an unhealthy an unhealthy anger. And before we kind of look at those words again, just so you understand, the expectation in that particular verse is not uh, to rid ourselves of emotion, to become a robot. That's not, that's not the expectation. Anger is an emotion. It's something we're going to experience in life. And sometimes we even experience anger for all the right reasons. Probably not as often as the wrong reasons, but there are times when we even experience anger for all the right reasons. The challenge here is not to become emotionless. The challenge is to make sure that we handle and deal with and express our anger in the right way. To rid ourselves of the sinful expressions of anger. And here's the thing, that's really hard to do when our hearts and minds are set on revenge. It's really hard to do when our hearts and minds are set on getting the last word in. When our hearts and minds are set on winning the argument with harsh words, with running around causing dissension and trying to get everybody in the office space to side with us against whoever it is we're mad at. Paul describes our life in Christ as ridding ourselves of the old self and putting on the new self. You see that in the text? Take off the old self, put on the new self. And it's important for us to understand the picture that he's trying to paint. It's, it's not a picture of making a few home improvements when your house is a wreck structurally. If you've got termites and mold in your walls and the foundation is... is is cracked to the point where it's crumbling, if that's the condition of the house, then then a new coat of paint's not going to fix that. The picture here that he's painting is that of the old self, taking off the old self, putting on the new self. It's a picture of tearing the old house down, including the foundation, and starting over, starting with a new foundation of Jesus Christ. It's not a picture of putting on new clothes over top of old clothes. That's what happened when when I was a counselor at camp. I'm sure it still happens. When I was a counselor at camp, especially junior high week, they were notorious for this. The junior high boys didn't change their underwear or shower all week. They stunk. They just put, you know, some of them would put a new shirt on Maybe a different pair of shorts. Most of them didn't even do that. But putting on a new pair of shorts over dirty underwear is not going to fix the problem. Here's, here's one a little more recent in, in my own life experience, all right? This picture that he's painting is not a picture of, of spraying yourself with Axe body spray after the football game. It's not what this is. 
Get where I'm going? I got a teenage boy that thinks that's okay. No, we need to take the, we need to take the sweaty clothes off and shower. The, the Axe body spray is just covering up for a, little, for a little while, maybe for the car ride home, but then that's a, like a whole other weird smell. Take a shower, put on clean, fresh clothes. That's the image of taking off the old and putting on the new. Set your hearts and minds on Jesus over everything. That's what it means to do that. It's not being okay with the fact that there's mold and termites in the wall. We'll just put some paint on it and it'll be all right. No, we need to start over. Put everything under Jesus. I want to read verse 10 again because I don't want you to gloss over it because I think it's really important for us. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Verse 11 says it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are, Jew, Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're uncivilized or civilized, slave, free. All that matters is, is Christ in our lives. I want to say this to you. If, if, if you are far from God, and that's possible, maybe you're sitting here or maybe you're watching on the other side of that camera and you're far from God, there's, there's something inside of you that's missing and you know it. And, and, and you might have been trying to fill it with all kinds of other things and it just doesn't work. Listen carefully to verse 10. But I also want to say this. We'll, we'll break it down for, for you in just a moment. But I also want to say to the person sitting here, to the person sitting at home, who is a believer, but you feel like an absolute failure. You're, you're a follower of Christ, but, but you've blown it, and, and you're not sure what to do with that. You feel like a failure. This is a really, really important verse, because verse 10 tells us, yes, our new self, it, it's a reality, but we are being renewed. The new self is being renewed. The old self dies... The new self comes to life when we repent of sin, when we trust Jesus Christ as our forgiver. We trust in in what he did on the cross to forgive us of sin. We trust in his resurrection power to make us right with God and give us a brand new heart. And maybe that's what needs to happen in your life right now because that empty feeling that you feel inside of you, God put that there. And the only thing that can fill it is Jesus. He put it there on purpose so that you would search for him. You, you, you've been going through life uh, trying to fill that empty feeling with all kinds of other things, and like, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. Yeah, because the only thing that's going to work is that relationship with God through Jesus. And, and maybe you've gone through life and you felt like you have no purpose and, and you struggle with, with identity and, and who you are and trying to figure all of that out, and you're frustrated, you don't feel loved, you don't feel accepted, Those are desires that God put in your heart, hoping that you would go searching for him. My my heart breaks for those who go through life day after day after day, and they're searching for 
to, to fill up this space in their lives, in their hearts, in all the wrong places. And the, the longer they do it, the more empty they feel. It's heartbreaking. And, and we want to say, stop. Just stop and look to Jesus because he has everything you need to fill that space, to give you purpose, to give you an identity that matters, to forgive you of whatever it is that, uh, that guilt and shame has, has, has held you down with and give you a new life. So repent, repent, and trust Jesus as your forgiver, as your Savior today. If we can help in that in any way, Talk to someone in the room who, who you know is a Christian. They'd love to have that conversation. Talk to one of the pastors. Reach out to us. We'd, we'd love to meet with you. But what about that believer this morning who feels like a failure? Because you blew it. You blew it. And it's not that you don't want to get it right. You do. It's not that you don't want to please God. You do. But you look at your life and you're like, there's no way I'm getting Christian of the Year award this year. Man, I blew it. Listen, when we trust Jesus as our forgiver, when we trust him as our Savior, this says we are made new. We're made new. We're brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. But it also says it begins a process of being renewed of being transformed, of learning how to make Jesus our Lord, of learning how to become like Him. It's not an immediate thing. It's a process that starts at the moment of salvation. And it goes on until we get to glory. It's an ongoing process, and it's important for you to understand, it's for every believer it doesn't matter what your cultural background is. It doesn't matter what your economic background or your nationality. It doesn't even matter whether or not you were born in the cove. I know some people think that makes you closer to God because you were born in the cove. No, it doesn't. Every believer is new in Christ and being renewed in Christ at the same time. Isn't that wonderful to know? I say that to say this, don't set your heart and your mind on the past. Don't set your heart and mind on the past. And don't set your heart and mind on the present like who you are right now. Set your heart and mind on who you are becoming, on who it is that Jesus is transforming you into. Set your heart and mind on Jesus over everything and let him make you more like him. Paul paints this picture then of what, it, what that looks like. We talk about becoming like Jesus. Look at verses 12 to 14. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Pause there. These are really great virtues. Would you agree? They're wonderful character qualities, and I, I don't want you to miss what it is that fuels them. 
what binds them together so that they become a consistent part of our everyday lives and who we are. It's love. Love is what binds them together and, and allows us to experience these qualities consistently, not just when we're having a good day. Set your heart and your mind on learning how to love. These other qualities will come with it. I mean, just imagine what your marriage would look like if your heart, if your mind was set on demonstrating love more than winning the argument. Would that make a difference in your marriage? Imagine how the words that fall from our lips would be different if our minds, if our hearts were set on love instead of rage and slander and trying to make ourselves look good and, and convince other people that we're right. Imagine how our perspective on just anything, you pick it, money, material things, generosity. How about this? Other people and their problems. Do you know other people that have problems? Yeah, we all do. And we have a perspective about that. We have problems, and we have a perspective about it. How different would our mindset be on a day-to-day -day basis if our hearts and our minds were just set, focused on learning how to love when it came to all of these things in our lives? How different would it be? The alternative to that is what we typically have a tendency to do, not all the time, but we have a tendency to trend towards ourselves, don't we? We set our minds, we set our hearts on ourselves. That's kind of like the default. How different is it when we choose not to do that and set our hearts and our minds towards love? Set your heart and mind on Jesus over everything because that's who Jesus is. I asked you this question earlier. What's your heart set on this morning? What's your mind set on this morning? I want you to know you've got a choice. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, let, let the peace. Now understand, the word let implies a choice, right? To allow. That's what let means, to allow, which means you have a decision to make, and I have a decision to make. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace. Always be thankful. Again, it's a choice. Verse 16, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts talking here about these series of choices, is your heart, is your mind set on peace, the peace that Christ provides, or is your heart and mind filled with set on fear and worry? Is your heart and mind set on, on being thankful, or is it filled with complaints and irritations? Is your heart and mind set on making the Word of God Literally, what, what the, the phrase here means is to let it feel at home in you. 
The word dwell means to feel at home, to be welcomed like you're at home. Does the word of God feel at home in your life? Does it feel welcomed in your life? Or would you rather not have Jesus hanging around with you all day? Choice, right? Is your heart and mind, I love this, this is really challenging. Probably more challenging to some than others because some of you love to sing. And you sing with passion and you sing with enthusiasm. Not everyone does. And this challenges us to do that. Is your heart, is your mind on, when, this is the context of singing in church with one another. To sing with a heart of gratitude. In case you didn't know, uh, this is a bonus. Bonus. Typically, a heart of gratitude does not express itself like this. Maybe I'm wrong, but most of the people that I've met in life, this does not express, I am very grateful right now. Right? I just take if it's helpful. Do we sing with a heart of gratitude? How about this? Do you see there's like this connection? In that, in that verse, there's a connection between our singing, these various types of, of songs, and, and there's a connection between that and, and each other. You see it? We're letting the, the message of Christ fill our lives, and we're teaching. We're counseling each other with wisdom as we sing. Isn't that interesting? I wonder, I wonder if we would be happy or embarrassed to find out that the people around us, that their Christian lives reflected our enthusiasm level and our, our, our heartfelt thankfulness and gratitude in our worship. Like if there was, if there's this connection between my worship, your worship, and one another, and and somehow my my expression of worship, your expression of worship, was reflected in the Christian life of someone else, would would we be happy to see that? Like, oh, that's amazing. Would we be embarrassed? It's an interesting verse, and it brings us back to the question, what's your heart set on this morning? What's your mind set on this morning? Is it set on, you know, I want to get more people to follow me on social media. I want to become more popular. Is it set on how I can make more money and get more stuff, how I can satisfy my selfish desires? Or is your heart and your mind set on Jesus over everything is every goal every priority every everything uh, at, at, at your school in in where you work and in your marriage relationship your dating relationship your passions your your your, your accomplishments all your moral choices all of these things is is it is it all underneath the goal of Jesus over everything 
Now, admittedly, I cannot promise you that that goal is an easy one to attain every day. It's not. In fact, it's hard. But I can promise you this. I can promise you that if you will set that as your goal, if you set your mind and you set your heart on Jesus over everything every day, if you will do that, I can promise you, you will like who you are becoming. I can promise you that because you'll be becoming like Jesus.